Hi, and welcome to another Cliché Podcast. This episode will be a little bit different from my other episodes, as I will be covering a quote rather than a cliché. The quote reads, Ignorance is the parent of fear, by author Herman Melville. Now, the reason this episode's different, because I've been inspired to do this due to all the recent hate crimes since the pandemic, and it has left me feeling unsettled, so I invited a few allies to have a candid conversation on xenophobia leading to racial profiling. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me, and I appreciate the support from all of you. Uh, We'll start off with introducing one another with your name, a bit of your background, and why you agreed to do this episode. Now, this is audio, so people can't visually see us. I'll start first. Surprisingly, even though I've had a few episodes out, I've never introduced myself. Uh, I'm the host. My name is Cindy. I am a second-generation Canadian, meaning my parents immigrated to Canada. And ethnically, I am of East Asian descent. And we, I will introduce my allies that I have invited onto this episode. I would say go around in a circle and introduce yourselves. But you're on Zoom and you have no idea, like, <laughs> what I'm looking at. So I'll just call upon you and you can introduce yourselves, explain why you agreed to do this episode. We'll start with Sally. Yeah, so uh, thank you for having me. Um for having me in your podcast and uh, of course um, I met Cindy when we were in the School of Social Work and uh, we both graduated from a social work program. Um, I come from a Middle Eastern background so I was interested to join this obviously too um, because we like we faced a lot of discrimination even without coronavirus like we always faced a lot of um, comments and stuff like that to a point where like we have to mute it through our daily life so we won't have to like um, get impacted by it a lot but this is something like we deal with on a daily basis and yeah thank you <laughs> oh, thank you so much for sharing and we'll definitely get more into that later on in the episode and I'm excited and then we'll go to Sebi hi my name is Sebi uh... I recently graduated from University of Windsor, and I met Cindy in my class, and that's uh, why I joined. I think we all did. <laughs> 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 yeah, and uh, I am a first generation in Canada. I immigrated from India, and um, I'll say the same thing with the I um, with the Sally what she said. And that's it. Yeah, and I, I would love to have your perspective too because you're a first-generation Canadian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would be an interesting take on it. And thank you for joining me today. No we'll go thank to you. Erica next. Hi, um, my name's Erica. I'm on the show because I'm a huge fan. She's <laughs> oh, my friend, you. and I love this podcast. Thank and you. I was super excited when she asked me to join. Um why am I here? Okay, everyone talked about the race, so I feel like I should too. Um, so I'm Greek and Italian. Um, my dad is an immigrant, so I think that makes me a first-generation Canadian. Second. I was confused. Yeah, okay. I feel like we, we don't, I don't know if that's the case, but I'm not going to disagree with you because you're the host. <laughs> I Googled it. You Googled it? Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. So my mom then is a second-generation immigrant. Like her parents were born in Italy and my dad was born in Greece. 
Um, but I often get mistaken for other races, to be honest with you, because I have like olive toned skin. So that's kind of weird. And hey, we're all social workers. Yay. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> Thank you for that. I love that you're my fan. Um, we'll have Richie go next and then Sundus. Sorry, last but not least, Sundus afterwards. Okay, so Richie. Um, hi, I'm Richie. I am a. Vietnamese Canadian. My parents were born in Vietnam, came over here. Uh, and I'm here because I think I might be able to give some decent insights. And I met Cindy as a colleague, as with everybody else here. <laughs> that is true. I can attest that we are all social workers and we all met in our undergrad, which is, which is great that we are doing something with our degree and we're advocating. <laughs> and last but not least, Sundas. Hey, <clears throat> uh, my name is Sundas. I am a first generation Canadian. Uh, my background is Somali. Um, yeah, I guess much like everybody here, the whole conversation intrigued me because I guess the pandemic, it is not necessarily affecting me, but it affects people around me, which is why this conversation is important. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much. Again, I can't stress it enough because I wouldn't be able to do this episode without all of you. But before we get into the meat of it all, or sorry, <laughs> Erica's a vegan. Before we get into, oh my God, I don't have to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to edit that out. So before we get into it, am I allowed to talk about veganism in this podcast? <laughs> It's a whole other topic about why it's a whole other topic, but if you can sprinkle it in there, you can go ahead and sprinkle it in there. So I will give a background on the pandemic first and how it has personally raised alarms towards hate crimes for myself. So once when this pandemic started, a lot of people called it the coronavirus until it was officially named on February 11th by the International Committee of Taxonomy of Viruses. They named it Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2, short form SARS-CoV-2. And then the World Health Organization named the disease COVID-19. Now the director of the WHO, General Tedros, made a comment that naming this disease was crucial to not stig stigmatize so they don't use geographical location, animals, individual people um, to promote any inaccuracies because truly a virus is non-discriminatory. And I think many of you have heard, if not seen the video or in the news, but pres the president of the United States called it the Chinese virus and defended it, but this was a CNBC report published March 18th that covered it. He called it the Chinese virus, and he defended that it wasn't racist because that is where the virus came from. Please note he did denounce the statement on March 24th. Personally, I found this very dangerous language for someone of that, with that much influence and that much authority because it could spark xenophobia. And for the audience that doesn't know what xenophobia means, the definition is dislike or prejudice against people from other countries. 
All my definitions are taken from Oxford Dictionary, by the way. And prejudice, for those who don't know what that means, is preconceived opinion not based on reason or actual experience. Now, my issue with that is once xenophobia comes into play, there is an issue of racial profiling where you're generalizing East Asians and citizens who are not foreigners, so they may be second generation born and are of East Asian descent ethnically. Now, my question to my allies right now is, have you taken notice to any of these xenophobic remarks or any racial profiling, whether it be in the media or in your everyday life recently? Yeah, absolutely. We see that in the news. Uh, for example, the other day I was watching Donald Trump, and he was and he and he called it the Chinese virus. And I was like, Oh my god! So if you have a leader who is showing people like he is specifying like a, a group of people and calling that virus according to 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 that place or to that like wh whatever the country is um obviously people are gonna be are gonna learn that everything is learned everything is um uh and is the president that's saying it. it's not like someone um like regular you know um so so yeah i've seen it in the news a lot even on facebook like a lot of posts uh, the first thing I saw was when I realized there was a lot of like um, uh, racial discrimination and stuff like that when I saw a post on Facebook and I had this picture of this Korean store and basically they posted on it, we are not Chinese. Um, so uh, because people would come to their store or like they would, like they would say stuff um, so they were like, you know what, like, we're not Chinese, we're Korean. So stop, stop discriminating and stop doing this. That was like the first, the first thing I saw. And I was like, that's not good. Oh my gosh. So it was affecting their business. I saw that too. <laughs> yeah. It's messed up. I did hear that a lot of, in the beginning, a lot of Chinese restaurants, maybe even now, weren't getting customers because people were scared of contracting COVID-19. I believe that. Like, it should be everywhere you go because it's not, it's not, like, it's not, it's not related to this one person. Like, see how people think? They think like, okay, this virus is coming only from this population or this, this person, and this person is going to give it to me. But they don't realize that it's everywhere. It's impacting everybody. You know, in my home country, Iraq, like I see these videos of people talking, they're like, oh, no, like in Iraq, we have this like holy building, like they have these religious buildings in Iraq. And they're like, oh, like, uh, if you if you come here in this building, you will never get the coronavirus. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> oh, I think I've that's seen what a lot happened of in Korea. Videos about that. Yeah, like, all different religions being like, I will be protected because, like, yeah. of my church or whatever. And it's like, no, don't gather in a church. It's bad. 
Together and, right now. and I would say, like so back sad. in India, well, in our culture, I'm I'm a Christian, and the, like recently we finished our Easter and Good Friday and what other stuff, and the people are doing online masses and everything and saying that the holy water, if you blessed with the holy water, you will not get coronavirus. Yeah, <laughs> that's very dangerous information. Yeah, to be spreading. Yeah. But we had a reporter who went outside and he was telling people like, why are you outside? You're not outside. People are so uneducated about like the disease and what it could cause to them. Yeah. So they were, uh, they were like, oh no, like uh, we'll never come to Iraq. Like, tell me, tell me if you had seen like one case, like one case. And the reporter is like, uh, yeah, there are so many cases in the hospital and people are dying. And the guy literally, like, he didn't say anything. He was like, oh, <laughs> really? Like, oh, people are so uneducated about how dangerous it is and what it could cause people. So um, they think, like, it's because they are certain, certain, like, in certain location or, like, certain mm -hmm. things, like, it's never going to impact them or, like, certain religion. Um, yeah. And that's the scary <laughs> part is to be uninformed or even worse misinformed about things and relating that back to the quote i'm using ignorance is the parent of fear and ignorance is the lack of knowledge or information so i think it's very applicable to this episode of it causing hysteria or fear um so the next point that i want to make is that i want to give out statistics for anyone that would want to argue that there hasn't been hate crimes or, or there hasn't been prejudice towards the Chinese community or the East Asian community. So I want to give out statistics first. And the first one I'll give is online uses of hashtags. So this isn't necessarily a physical occurrence because this is online but i think it's still important to raise awareness but according to an oh i might pronounce this wrong but al jazeera article published on april 5th there has been 72,000 instagram posts tagged with wuhan virus and 10,000 instagram tags um tagged with hashtag kung flu and this is just from April 5th. So I don't know what numbers is that now, but there's some statistics for you. And I'm sure you may have seen other things online, possibly. I don't know, because I don't have a lot of social media. If you have, do speak up now. <laughs> I know the Kung Flu thing, like I just saw it today in like a meme. Um, there's been a lot of, like different memes where it's like a bunch of people and how they describe like coronavirus. So it'll be like characters from the office or characters from friends. And like, I know today I saw one in Chandler from friends was calling it Kung flu. Um, so maybe that's why that one's up and coming. Cause like, it's just trying to show like how problematic, like everyone talks about this. Um, so maybe that one's like not so bad, I hope. Um, but <laughs> I, I know that's, that's a very positive way of thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. That's and I hope though. that is the purpose. 
Yeah, yeah. So, but something makes me uh, think that that may not be know. <laughs> majority of why people use that hashtag. Yeah. Um, another statistic I want to share is that a bunch of community organizations in California came together to create a website where you can report hate crimes. And from there, they have gathered up the statistics. And it is, you can Google it, actually. It's called Stop AAPI Hate. And AAPI stands for Asian Pacific Policy and Planning Council. So this was, the date that this article was written was March 24th. And when that was published on March 24th, the site had been launched almost three weeks with a report of 1,200 hate crimes on the website, escalating at a rate of 100 hate crimes per day. So that's just more proof for anyone that wants to argue that it hasn't been increasing. And the interesting thing for when I was researching this statistics to try to use in this episode was I found a lot of statistics for the United States and even for the United Kingdom. But for Canada, I didn't really see anything. I'm not sure if I'm not that great at researching or the fact that maybe we haven't been keeping track of it in Canada. So I'm not sure if it's just we are that different or we're not shedding light on it. I don't think it's because we're different because statistically everywhere has some sort of similarities, especially Western countries. And with Canada, probably it could be less or it could just probably just be that we're not measuring it or not keeping track of it. Um, and then xenophobia, it doesn't matter where it is in the world, it, it still exists, especially towards the Asian community. And I guess when there is a pandemic or when there is a crisis, it always creates this um, fear in people. And in their mind, it's just, it's always, they create this, like, a narrative where it's, like, us versus them in order to make themselves feel better. But at the end of the day, yeah, it might have started in Wuhan, but it's people that are in our country, like, here, wherever you are, that are continuing it. There's a reason why there's quarantine, people are supposed to be quarantining and social distancing and just keeping your distance, but... The fact that they're not doing it is the problem rather than necessarily where it started at this point, to be exact. Yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, and I feel like some people are too focused on, first of all, it's debated where it's originated from. Yeah, I was going to say, it might not even have started there. It's messed up. I mean, yeah, they did have the first case. I guess that's where it is. Usually may not start there, but wherever... The first case usually is reported. It tends to stick to that part. Um, I know one thing I've, I've been keeping track of these past couple of days, especially in China now that um, there's new cases and stuff like that, some cities are kicking out um, people that are Black and they're refusing them. Um, for example, people that have rented out and are currently living in places are kicked out. Um, there's police escorting them. There, are, I saw videos where... Um, these African, I think most of them were students, they were given one hour to get out of the house that they were renting. That some of them have already paid like six months in advance and 
they were just kicked out and they had to, um, they were not allowed to use public transit. They can't go to restaurants. They can't access anything. And it was, just, it's just really horrible watching videos where it's like, because of xenophobia, because of a pandemic, they're forced to sleep on the streets. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up too, because I, I was going to bring it up later on in the episode, because I've been hearing about that and it was, it's so heartbreaking. And that's why I think this episode is so important. Because I heard they're also making them do mandatory testing if they're African. Um, Which, I mean, if you're trying to control a pandemic, isolating people and forcing them to sleep outside is not really going to stop it. It's just going to make it worse. Yeah. That ties back into the whole xenophobia. Have you guys seen the video? Mm -hmm. sorry just to top it all off like i don't know if you've seen how people that are experiencing homelessness are kept in some oh my gosh yeah las vegas they painted squares yeah yeah like on the pavement (laughs) like good idea for sure and like i feel like even in staff at the shelter like a lot of them are like they just like have this idea that like people that are homeless are infected because they're like dirty or something it's like no, <laughs> there's that risk because many of us are. It's kind of weird. It's just all so sad, and I'm glad that we can have a candid conversation about everything. And even I was reading the New Yorker, an article. Darn it, I didn't write down the Ooh, date it was posted. The New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write down the date it was posted, but I swear it's a real article. But it uh, it addressed. Uh, some occurrences in London, UK. Um, there is a organization called Stop Hate UK, and the director, Mike Ainsworth, has seen a spike in hate crimes reported by the Asian community and an increased calls from the Chinese community on the helpline. Callers have noticed noted a fear of wearing masks and this is something that I actually personally had a concern with. And there are some days like beforehand that I wanted to go outside and I was like, maybe I should wear a mask. But then I was like, no, I shouldn't wear a mask because what if someone punches me in the face and thinks that I am diseased? So because of the things I've been hearing that have been happening in New York and it's just scary. But then I heard, where someone was punched because they weren't wearing a mask. And I'm like, okay, well, um, not. My chances aren't good either way right now, <laughs> whether or not I wear a mask. And it's not even a fear for myself. It's a fear for, I don't have any grandparents left, but my ex's grandparents, I treat them like they're my own. And it's a fear for the elderly because I've also seen videos where elderly have been attacked. And that's just scary um, are, are these attacks like always on people of asian descent like from what you're reading about right now from the stats yeah wow yeah have you guys been wearing masks i'm curious there's been like a lot of debate about it <laughs> no no i have a cloth okay what do you because say the, the study is still not saying that it's passing through airborne you know there is there is two different things they are saying like it's airborne but some people are saying like eh, it's not airborne it's, it's water droplets in the air yeah I thought. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 
so i'm not wearing mask anyway so yeah. and plus like i'm not going out that much now because of the baby and i don't have much things to do out mm-hmm. so maybe i go out in one day in a week that's it just for the grocery and come back i've heard a lot of people like on like working at grocery stores i have a friend that works at shoppers drug mart um and she got she gets yelled at for like not wearing gloves and she's like i like i don't understand how that will protect you customer cuz like I'm going to touch someone else's change and your change. I don't know. Sorry. Unrelated, I guess, but just parallels everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not just with people of a certain race, I guess, just like ignorance galore. Not yeah. wearing, what if she has like a hand sanitizer right there? Like that's a little bit helpful, but yeah. With the money it's like, it's always like this, even if it's not Corona. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, compared to Windsor, Chatham uh, is kind of like we have 18 cases and one died and two recovered. Mm-hmm. So, you know, compared to Windsor, we are kind of a safer spot. But and they are saying it's not uh, community related coronavirus. It's through either travel to US or some other country or cruise or direct contact with the person. So it's not community related coronavirus mm-hmm. in chat yeah there you go people now you have some more information on how it's spread um i don't so a personal thought here and i don't know whether or not you'll agree with it but you can jump in but personally i have a fear that this could turn into something that draws sort of a parallel with what happened with 9-11 and how Islamophobia spiked up. I should probably, that's very general. I should probably specify what I meant by that. Was how um, post 9-11, this discriminatory backlash was towards, and I'm quoting the U.S. Department of Justice, sorry, was towards Arab Americans, Muslim Sikhs, South Asian Americans, and other perceived to be of Middle Eastern origin. So that parallel there I'm talking about is people who aren't Chinese, but just are East Asian Mm -hmm. to be perceived as Chinese Mm -hmm. and have that discriminatory backlash. We've always had that. I think it's more prominent. Anytime I've ever introduced myself, right? First impressions with the youth that we've worked with, for example, whenever they guess what I am, because I like to make it a little guessing game for them, (laughs) they never get it right. (laughs) Nobody ever guesses that I'm Vietnamese. Even amongst us in the Asian population, I don't get identified as Vietnamese. People always think I'm Chinese, the occasional Korean, the rare Japanese. I got Cambodian twice. Um, (laughs) But you're always going to get a mixed result. So in the same way that we can't identify everybody by looking at them just because there's tons of ethnicities out there, you're going to generalize. And Chinese has always been the generic staple because of prominent actors such as Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee. Coincidence, they're Chinese, (laughs) they're household names, so people will assume. I don't think it's anything different. I think now, so it's, they're moving away from the jokes and getting more, how do I say it? Aggressive violence. Yeah. It's less of microaggression and more of like blatant aggression. Um, I mean, there have been 
past pandemics. So I don't think it will, yes, there might be a slight increase, but I think it will go back to whatever um, homeostasis it was before to a certain degree, because the pandemic is usually not caused on purpose. It just doesn't, I mean, it's not intentional. So yes, there might be some backlash and there always will be. Um, I mean, everyone that is not white will always have some sort of backlash or some sort of stereotype attached to them. But I don't think it will be to the extent of Islamophobia. And I, I mean, think about the Spanish right. flu. No one thinks about Spain as this terrible country, right? <laughs> I should define no. Islamophobia for the audience just in case. <laughs> Islamophobia is dislike or preju prejudice against Islam or Muslims, especially as political force. Oxford Dictionary. Um, one thing that I noted was the U.S. Department of Justice. They had things in place post, like after it happened for um in terms of employment and immigration to ensure that it wasn't discriminatory and then i'm just it made me think about like post-pandemic when things go back to quote normal unquote um perhaps the bullying that kids will face in school or even job applications when you're what your name is what your last name is was that Will that differ? Um, how will immigration go between the countries? And it's just a whole big unknown right now to relate back to the quote, not the cliche, the quote. And it could cause some fear there for this future that we're not really sure what's going to happen after it's all cleared up. And final thought here that I want to sh show what statistics I did find in Canada that I thought was very important. So Global News article published on June 13th of 2017. So hate crimes overall in Canada increased yearly. Back in 2015, there was 1,362 cases with 641 of them being race-motivated, with the most targeted group being the Black community. That's why I want to highlight it, not only for my own community, but here, even back in 2015, 641 cases being race-motivated, and most of them targeted towards the Black community. I think it's very important here to talk about xenophobia and racial profiling towards every community how dangerous that can be we're in Canada and you know it's such a great it's a multicultural country and it's like a, <laughs> it's like well how many things are really reported and you know do we I feel like now is the time to take the opportunity to shed light on racial profiling in general not just towards East Asians and I want to hear your thoughts on this because I think this is like the most important part of this episode actually I attended a presentation uh, before and this uh, guest speaker she was talking about racial prof profiling and how it starts from birth so oh. she's yeah she's like basically like when a woman comes from a different background she delivers this baby 
this, this baby is already labeled like uh, by the uh, address they live in, like his parents or by the area they live in or by their skin color or by their, um, you know, economic background. So she's like, everything starts from birth. It's like a whole cycle. Then this child gets older, he goes to school or she goes to school. And then she sees like the teacher is uh, like there's favoritism in the class. So she's like, they experience like this, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, discrimination. And then after they graduate from high school, they go to look for a job. And it's really hard for them to look for a job because, you know, of their, like, you know, their name, like you said, or, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, they change their, their names or resumes to, like, you know, get a call for an interview. And after they, you know, get, um, let's say if they're looking for housing or anything like that, they do have a problem uh, getting approved for one or anything like that because because of their background. So the, she talked about how it's, it's, a, it's a whole cycle. Is this the girl at the the dinner thing? What was it? Ontario Association of Social Workers meeting? Yeah, I remember her speech too. Her name was Rita, but I don't remember her last name. Rita Burgoyne. <laughs> so she did talk about how it was like a it's, it's like a whole cycle like that we go through and it's going and going because it's just like um, it's something that's been happening, like something that's been happening for long. So that's why we still have that. And, and, and she did, when she said that it starts from birth, like it really hit me. I was like, that's so true. Because like, she's like, when the baby is born, like, they, they, like the, the baby is labeled by the nurses or like by the doctors or because of their like skin color or background or the area they live in. Like, I think uh, that whole speech, like it was more than just like obviously background, right? Because like, even before you're born, like you can have a low birth rate weight and then that'll literally mess you up for life. Like, so I know it's like, we're talking about race here, but like, you can't talk about race without talking about poverty, you know? Cause like people have it so different depending on their circumstance, like regardless of your race. So, you know, we're social workers, intersectionality. Uh, you got a reference definition for that one, Cindy? <laughs> you know, intersectionality. <laughs> <laughs> Will you know, define it for us? No, we okay. can define it. <laughs> it's a uh, membership into different identity groups. Oh yeah. So say your gender, your race, your religion, your social economic standing, and that's a huge thing that I definitely agree with. Is like if you're poor, it's a whole other, yeah. a whole other battle. And even like, and especially if you're like, if you're, if you're non-white, like that's, that's, that makes it more challenging. Like that makes it more difficult for you to be, uh, to be out there, you know, and like having a decent job, having a better wage or having, you know, a, a higher power in the community. Like that's, that's all like related to it. You know, it's, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I want to say as a final thought thing, I just want to say that segregation is unhelpful when we want to be prosperous as a human race. Like hearing, for example, from hearing how Africans 
are being kicked out of places that they're renting in China. It doesn't build unity or say all the hate crimes in the United States or around the world towards East Asians. Um, I think now is a more important time than any to build unity and solidarity and just be kind and have compassion. But a lot of it would turn into self-segregation, though. <clears throat> so while there are those people who would say that I don't want to associate with a Chinese person during these times, um, for every person that does that, you, of course, have the Chinese person who would then say in return, I would prefer to hang out with people of similar experiences because they would understand my discrimination and that breeds community groups. And so when they choose to self-isolate themselves, then you can't build that sense of community and unity within people. So what would you propose about that? Dang, that's a good question. I think what I would do is record an episode on my podcast <laughs> talking about it. Well, Let's do it. What do you have in mind, though, as far as community initiatives to get people invested into working together instead of staying by themselves, especially when they've been discriminated against? I do have, actually, I do have a resource that I really want to highlight for people who have um, experienced just. Uh, hate crimes and from any any background really I found this website it is n-a-p-a-b-a dot org slash page slash hate crime resources and it um, this webpage explains what a hate crime is how to report one pro bono legal services and community education and it is they were talking in the States about how people were not reporting them. So. I think that's everywhere. A lot of people just don't report anything to police because it, they don't think it's going to amount to anything. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of people are talking about this is just the tip of the iceberg, but like underneath there's so much, so much people don't talk about. So. So, so they were talking about, like, isn't that scary? Like, how much there is, like, these hate crimes and they are not being reported and how it's scary it is to have this much um, hatred in the, in, the, in the society. So, um, yeah. yeah. I recommend that, that website. For does, it, uh, does it, like, compare different places? I did not look that up. I just thought, wow, this is a great place to find yeah. legal advice for anyone. And uh, back to Richie's question, though, because that doesn't really answer his question, but that answers how people can report hate crimes and get advice. Um, I actually don't have a solid idea for that. I'm wondering if anyone else does. Like if, uh, he asked if people could work together instead of like being... Could you, could you um, state your question again, Richie? Oh, what would you propose for community initiatives to get people working together and staying as a community group when they're segregated and experiencing those hate crimes? I would say uh, education first, educate them and, and, and help to stop it, like stop these kind of things that are happening. Any hate toward anybody from any different background, like educate the people because there's a lot, of, a lot of lack of knowledge, I would say. People do not have knowledge. They're ignorant about like other cultures, other uh, other values, other traditions, other beliefs. They're so there's a lot of lack of knowledge in this 
and this uh, whole thing. So I would say educate people, get them together, and the more they're, they're the more you, uh, you put people together, together from a different background, the more it will be more like normal. People will get you know used to it. It will be normalized. I think uh, I think education is a great idea. Great yeah, idea. for sure. I think like I don't know, collective impact. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're gonna bring work into this. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a good idea. I think like I don't know, creating some kind of group where people with similar experiences get together and like or like people invest in communities. Like I think segregation comes from housing, like how neighborhoods were designed. Um, right. Like you think about Glengarry neighborhood, like that was created because of really racial history in our community. If you don't know about it, I encourage you to read up on it. My friend Sarah explained it to me once and I was blown away. Um, but like literally it starts because the only people are allowed to live in a certain neighborhood or a certain race. Um, so if people of different races invest and try to live in places that are maybe segregated, then I think that's the start how that would look, I don't know, some kind of investment strategy or people who lived in those neighborhoods could be like, this is what I want to see in my neighborhood. This is how I will want to interact with people outside of my race or my culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, something like that. I know it's, it's oh, tough. I didn't even think about housing, to be honest. So that's a great point. It is. We create projects and then that it's like... It in with like ugh. income level. <laughs> Yeah. poverty you don't see different people in different locations it's always like specific group of people and like uh in a in a in a in this specific like place like they're not in they're not interacting with each other they talk about multicultural this and that but that's not like you don't see that we're not together we're not I think uh, like carousel nations and other things like that in Windsor, like when they have like Greek Fest and all the different festivals, uh, like I've been to Caribbean Fest, like that's times when people who normally wouldn't go to those places finally do. And it's like such a nice gathering of people from different backgrounds and cultures. So I think like that's another idea, maybe Richie, (laughs) Um, just like parties and like invite everyone not just people from your own culture like check us out look what we do (laughs) because I don't know I think that's like a great way food's always a great way to bring people together too so separated now like when you look at it it's very very separated you don't see people together from different backgrounds it's always that that certain group of people and that like certain uh event or whatever like you don't see a lot of that's why people here they are not like they're not so open to talk with people from a different background. Like I think that's just because I feel like people stick to their comfort zone. Mm. You go like you gravitate towards people that are more like you. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good point. Is that people stick to their comfort or their communities? And I think to answer Richie's question a good thing to do is if you want to be a good ally is to correct people mm. who are misinformed in your community. So when you hear something, say something. When you see something that's not right, call them out on it yes. because you're closer to them and you're in a position where you can actually educate them yeah. versus someone else doing it. It may seem like an attack. And they'll get defensive. So I think 
having honest, candid conversations and calling out the racism within, within your own community is the thing to do. If I were to be honest, I think that's how it could be addressed. So did you want to add in anything? Final thoughts? Speak now or forever. Hold your thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I was just thinking about like back to Rick, like Richie's question. Sorry if I mispronounced your name. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking like because um, of my past education, which is CYC. Um, we used to talk about restorative circle. And for some reason, that's just been like playing in my head this whole time. Oh, so can you explain that for the audience? Okay. So basically, restorative um, circle is like people that have been hurt and people like people, victims and perpetrators, basically. Um, but now I'm talking the case of like the coronavirus or people that have been assaulted, whether it be um, the Asian community, African community, whichever community it is, and people that are doing that, like people that are perpetrate, perpetrating. So the whole purpose of that is just to to allow people to develop relationships with another person, you, like seeing from their perspective, basically, to develop relationships by fixing bonds that have already been broken. So if people are victims, they get to hear people's story like from the other side and people that are, are doing the hurting get to hear from the other the other person's perspective. I'm not necessarily saying in this case put people with their perpetrators in the same circle, but it's just two people from two different groups trying to find a commonality in order to heal. This is great for our careers. You know, we're learning more from each other. We're going to bring it in. Thank you so much for agreeing to record this. I've learned a lot from all of you. And I hope this conversation is helpful, not only to us, but to whoever chooses to listen to this. Yeah, thank you to the audience if you're listening. And tune into my next episode.